Hello and welcome to Building High Performance Cultures, a weekly series where we talk with executives from top organizations about how they've built high performance cultures and how they're leveraging their culture as competitive advantage. I'm Marty Parker, the President and CEO of Waterstone Human Capital, and my guest today is the President and CEO of Galvanize, Lori Schultz. Lori, welcome to Building High Performance Cultures. Great to see you, Marty. Thanks. Great to see you, even though it's from a distance. I wish it were closer, but uh, for another day. Now, Lori was appointed uh, as the CEO of Galvanize, then known as ACL, back, I think, in 2011, Lori. And since then, you successfully repositioned the company to one of Canada's top 100 best managed employers. And, if I don't say so myself, a 2017 Canada's Most Admired Cultures Award winner. And today, the company enjoys top quad analyst recognition uh, on a build-by rebrand formula, disrupting its category while profitably delivering high double-digit revenue growth. Lori has built several multi-million dollar software businesses spanning the personal uh, finance, small business accounting, ERP, CRM, and GRC categories. She's transformed cultures, platforms, business models, and valuation by empowering change and relentlessly focusing on right critical few. And her efforts have been rec recognized. Lori's received multiple leadership awards, including the 2019 EY Entrepreneur of the Year, Pacific Region in Technology, the 2019 Business in Vancouver CEO of the Year, and the WXN, Canada's Most Powerful Women Top 100, most recently in 2019, entering her into the Hall of Fame. That's an incredible accomplishment. And these are just to name a few. But Lori, why don't you start us off talking a little bit about Galvanize and the culture that you've been a part of building. Thanks so much, Marty, for those kind words. It's uh, great to be here. And uh, it's so fun to talk about culture. I've been here nine years, which is a long time to be at a tech company. And uh, of course, Galvanize has been around a long time as well. We were born in the university system in 1972 before you and I were both born, well, barely. And uh, we were commercialized in 1987. And as you mentioned, I joined in 2011. And the great, great invitation I was given was to transform this business with an emphasis on culture. My number one priority at the time was to actually um, fix our culture. As uh, you know, many respects, having been around for so long, we've kind of fallen asleep. We'd gotten good at the uh, usual tricks and uh, because our category had uh, matured, we're in dire need of, uh, of some new ones. And so over the past nine years now, we've transformed ourselves, we've transformed our category on a, a threefold agenda in order, uh, focused on mobilizing talent, um, customer intensity and uh, business model transformation. And you know, I, I like to uh, emphasize that mobilizing talent has really been the enabler of, of all of our, our transformation since as it's been anchored in having kind of the right value system and having folks pointed consistently against the right vision. Uh, we're not an easy place to work, but we're a great place for folks that want to change the world. It's a great, uh, a, a very great and, and kind of succinct story of what was a lot of work I know and continues to be. But as you kind of uh, took on the challenge of transforming the culture, Lori, and, and as you talked about um, really transforming talent and kind of breathing new life into the customer experience and the company's bottom line, 
how do you approach these large scale changes? And what I mean by that is particularly when it comes to an organization like Galvanizes now, ACL then, uh, had been around a few years. How do you do it? You know, uh, for anybody that walks into an organization that's established, I, I don't want to marginalize the effort, but it's actually quite simple. You ask people what they think. And you know the story, Marty. Uh, when I joined, I did 14 town halls, I think it was in my first two weeks. I spoke to everybody and I just asked them quite simply, simply and authentically what's working, what's not working, what opportunities are we missing? And you know, the great thing around town halls, and I still do them today, in fact, I've got a couple this week. It's you are able to not only get great ideas, because of course our employees uh, are, are, are very smart, but you get to see who can influence the room based on the integrity of their intent and the caliber of their ideas. And when I met uh, ACL nine years ago through those town halls, I learned literally in the first two weeks from employees what needed to change. And uh, more importantly, I saw in the room who was going to lead that change. All I had to do was listen. All I had to do was notice. And uh, you know, maybe the hardest thing was uh, I had to get obstacles out of the way and you know, give those folks some freedom to try their ideas out in the hallway. Yeah, well, again, listening is a big part of it, but you then have to do it. What did you learn between? Uh, learn about the link, I should say, between corporate culture and organizational performance at in this most recent change at Galvanize, and what really worked for you over time? I'm so opinionated about this. I've, I've, I've had the opportunity to run a lot of software businesses. Yep. And, uh, you know, even today, we, we get, we're getting courted by a lot of um, private equity and just there's a lot of investment interest. One of the easiest things to do in the world as a CEO, a new CEO, is to come in and financially re-engineer a business. You can lay people off, you can raise prices, you, you can do a few things to make your profit and loss statement look really good, really fast. But you can leave dead bodies all over the place. I was very, very lucky in that my invitation to join uh, from the founder and from the board was really focused on culture and, and the collective belief was that by getting people in getting the people formula right, they in turn will get the customer formula right and you'll have pervasive financial results down the road. And I think that's the difference in the approach I was given the opportunity to take. It took longer, quite frankly, to get the culture formula right and frankly, even to transform the customer experience. We, we transformed our technology to the cloud and our business model to subscription. Those are really, really hard to do. Um, but they would have never have happened as impactfully had we not first got the people formula right. And so I'd say, you know, the linkage between corporate culture and financial performance for me is the pervasiveness and the stickiness over time if, you know, if you start with people. Very good. Not only did you make a change and you said it was, it took time, but you rebranded the business and that's no small task. How did you approach that? And, and get buy-in from all stakeholders, team members, ownership, the leaders. Yeah. How did the culture help you through that process? 
I love the life MBAs I've been able to get here. I've been parts of corporate rebrands, but not, uh, you know, in a leader seat up until now. And we actually did that May of 20. Man, it feels like so long ago. It was just May of 2019 that we did that. That would have been my eighth year here. We, uh, ACL is audit command language for the viewing audience here. It's not necessarily the sexiest uh, acronym, but it became a mainstream household name with auditors around the world. We're in 130 countries today. So we had to be very careful. It was this great competitive asset, that brand, but it was also a liability because as we transformed our product, we of course, uh, our solution re reaches now much farther than uh, an auditor. And in fact, our auditors champion the use of our solution across the table into the CFO or chief information officer and, and so on. So we actually quite carefully and with a very data informed kind of route with a lot of, um, you know, uh, conversation, we, uh, we took about a year actually to rebrand. We did research on the front end, starting with our customers. We asked for their feedback and, and frankly, they were one of the biggest advocates for us changing the brand because it was pigeonholing us. Uh, we had a, um, uh, a, a rebrand committee, which included board members and our founder to make sure that, uh, you know, they felt brought along for the ride. And we had an awesome consulting group that uh, put a lot of creative brands and visuals in front of us. So it was a very, very fun project. And, uh, you know, we took the time to make sure we had alignment and it just fits like a glove. Galvanize is a dual metaphor for what we do from a, a cultural perspective. We and our customers galvanize change. And uh, if you understand the, uh, the term uh, scientifically, it's you know, applying a, a protective coat to, to metal. And of course, our customers protect uh, their organizations from risk. So we're pretty happy with, with the brand. Yeah, it's a great name. And, it, and it's neat when it has that kind of internal and external resonance. Yes, yeah, that's right. Now, Galvanized Values yeah, it really has the values of customer intensity, embracing ambiguity, and authenticity. But how do these show up in day-to-day -day operations? And, and, you know, how do you see these both in your efforts as CEO, but also across, across the team? Well, my favorite is authenticity. And if uh, you know, we describe the meaning of it as uh, it's, it's being genuinely in the moment and, and listening to someone and uh, receiving it the exact way it was delivered. It's you know, stopping the censoring in your head so that you can really learn something from someone's opinion that you didn't otherwise know. And that leads into the embracing ambiguity because, you know, by hearing and learning what you don't know, you're going to be in a position to do something that you've never done. I mean, that simple kind of language colors how we talk here. We measure our values on a bi-monthly uh, basis, actually, as part of our, uh, we have a bi-monthly survey. We have, and I think we'll talk about it a little bit later, we have symbols of our values. For example, we have a moose in every room, I should actually just find one in the room that I'm in here. A moose on the table for us at Galvanize is like an elephant in the corner of the room, which, you know, it's that uncomfortable, awkward thing somebody wants to say. By being uh, very uh, frequent in how we talk about our values, in measuring our values and having symbols like the moose, they, they really have become a very, very big part of our culture and uh, frankly, our transformation. I'll say, 
um, until this job, I probably actually never really appreciated the impact of symbols and language like I do today. And uh, having a moose as a metaphor for the, the value of authenticity has been a, a really fundamental uh, focal point for our culture. And where did the moose come from? I don't really know where that came. I mean, I brought it, uh, perhaps I'd heard it sometime in the past, but of course we're Canadian, right, Marty? So I don't have any elephants and uh, it seemed like a moose on the table was a, a good <laughs> I'll never forget when you story. I thought it was fabulous. <laughs> now, we read an interview last year where you talk about risk and getting comfortable with risk. As a leader, how have you grown in your ability to, to manage the whole idea of risk and, and how do you coach uh, team members that galvanize on, on doing just that? I think there's probably an element of personality. I think to, to some degree, risk is learned. And I think to some degree, a risk appetite you're born into. And I think the way to um, tickle that out of employees is to be as vulnerable as often as you can be with employees. Um, we're very, very transparent in the kind of goals that we set. You know, one, one example of a, a pretty big risk we took, it was uh, in 2015, we transformed our business to subscription in one year. And that's no small feat with 6,000 customers in 130 countries. And uh, we got in the hallways, we um, put that goal out there, we, talk to folks around all of the things that we could do to maximize our ability to achieve that goal within, with one year. We had all of our dashboards dialed up so we could see how we're performing. We aligned our compensation systems and then we communicated frequently, daily, weekly, monthly around how we were performing. Now we always had a get out of jail free card or an emergency escape clause. We always knew what we'd do if it was a disaster for some reason, but front end loaded the goal in terms of its aggressiveness and we surround sounded that with compensation systems and you know in our case the a, a customer value proposition that didn't give us much room to miss and then we just did it um and it worked we converted 90 percent in one year now we haven't always been so successful and maybe i'll just throw out as it comes to mind here a bit of a you know a contrast to that um, one year we, we had a uh, big goal around uh, consumption of our product. It was, it was called monthly active users. Actually, it was just with, with subscription, you need your customers to use it. It's the truth serum to, uh, to state the obvious. So we were measuring consumption of our product and uh, we had bonus around this goal as well. And actually there's a mistake in actually how we were counting and you know, the, the, the day of, bonus uh, uh, being announced on this great goal. We, an engineer discovered we were measuring it wrong. And so nobody in the company got bonused. And uh, we practiced our, our, our value of authenticity and uh, we explained the mistake. We told everybody they weren't getting bonus and it became a rallying cry for us around the value itself. At the end of the day, you know, we were forgiven the mistake because the bravery of the person that brought up the, the mistake and the, uh, the integrity of how we responded meant more to us than uh, money in pockets. So we're willing to take risks. We're willing to make mistakes. And in all cases, we're very, very visible and, and uh, you know, uh, 
transparent around how we're doing against them. Hmm. That's a, that, those are great examples. Thanks. Now, Lori, you know, I know the, that you're a real champion for, for women in business, but also in science, technology, engineering, and math and STEM, in other words. And we continue to hear about and live the vital importance of getting more women involved uh, in STEM. But as someone who's been in the tech industry for most of your career, what advice would you give for STEM-focused organizations looking to develop cultures that support and encourage women into and to stay in these industries? You know, Marty, I, I don't think I'm as, I've been as good as I can be around women in tech. And if I'm honest with you, it's, um, I mean, I, I started my journey in tech in 1989. That's how old I am. And I, um, I never wanted anyone to think that I'd got a, a free ride or any kind of special treatment because I was a female. And up until recently, I, I've been less vocal about it than I should have been. And I'm learning how to get better at uh, making a bigger deal out of it, definitely in my own organization. And as we, um, we have a formal goal around gender diversity, we're actually this year debating, this coming year debating, um, expanding it to uh, percent non-white male, if I can put it that way, it's probably a little controversial to put. But of course, there's many groups that, um, that should be um, um, included uh, more broadly than there are, they are. But I'll say just on the gender front, one thing that is uh, quite been quite helpful for us as we set our own goal today, we are only 32% female in tech. Now that's a little bit higher than, than tech in general. But I know that 42% of my customers are female. And if you think about you know the simplicity of the goal, but having an authentic goal line, it's been quite impactful for me to say, listen, there's, there's no way we can possibly argue that we shouldn't be at least 42% female if that's what our customers' uh, demographic represents. So that's been a really important um, uh, enabler of, of our own uh, DNI goal there. And I suppose just other obvious things, um, you know, we, we manage our recruitment to a pipeline target. Even things such as, uh, you know, our customer or employee conferences, being mindful about, you know, what percent of people are speaking that are uh, female or, or a different type of ethnic kind of uh, background. Yeah, well, it's a, it's certainly going to continue to, to be in the, in the forefront and, you know, there's no better time than the present. And I know that it's something that, that, uh, that is on your mind and appreciate your comment. Mm -hmm. So what do you see as the future? in terms of being critical to aligning your people at Galvanize to the culture and attracting new talent in order to continue to build this, and you do have one, high performance culture at Galvanize. Mm -hmm. Well, our fiscal year end is July 31, so I'm being very reflective about uh, our, our forward years. And of course the COVID-19 situation gives me all kinds of unique, kind of us, unique rear view mirror perspective. We have a great um, business. We've done really well, but nothing can be taken for granted. We're 500 employees today. We're the leader in our space. That's a right we need to earn every day. And, and yet there's so much change. And I'm preoccupied with a few things right now. Millennials 
uh, as a tech company, we have a lot of them. Two thirds of my employee population are millennials, yet two thirds of my leaders are Gen X. And, you know, some on my board are baby boomers. So, you know, as I think about myself, I'm, I'm in a bit of a sandwich here in that, uh, you know, I report to a, you know, a bit more of a traditional baby boomer type board. And uh, I've got millennials that work for uh, me and for us who, you know, are very self-actualized and who don't actually care about the typical stuff a board does. And so I think we should be very thoughtful about how to become better leaders for millennials because it's not going to be too long before we all work for millennials. <laughs> Surround sound that with, you know, the second thing on my mind is work from home. That's, uh, of course, um, I believe going to be a permanent part of our reality. I, you know, while I know a lot of people want to be in the office, I think that it's going to be a, an optional thing. I think at any given time, I might have maybe two thirds, 50% to two thirds of folks in the office. And that makes things quite interesting. If you consider millennials and um, the fact that they're motivated by different things and that we're not all in the office together, when you get into kind of commoditized type roles, like for example, lead development and certain sales functions, how you manage that kind of talent in a work from home situation is going to be a fascinating thing that we need to think about. Now those sound like productivity things, but really uh, those are culture things as well. And for us, as we you know try and repaint our path from 500 employees to a thousand, we are going to have to you know be more thoughtful about how our culture stretches into that new goal because so many things have changed for us. So I don't have a perfect answer, um, but I suspect through your forum, Marty, that this will become a fairly mainstream part of, of cultures. How do you maintain scale and growth with a millennial-based workforce that doesn't necessarily care about compensation and you know numbers the same way we do? and who are working at from home. This is going to be a very, very challenging decade, I believe. I, I, I agree. We'll be better for it, but it's going to be challenging. It's already happening. You know, you talked about working from home and millennials, but what other trends do you foresee coming in building high performance cultures and maintaining? Well, uh, you know, I, I, I guess I don't want to speak too generically. Um, a very big challenge in my category, as I've been in an almost a decade now, is that the, the smaller players are being gobbled up and or they're going out of business. And so as I look into my next few years here, I'm calling it 500 and 500, meaning it'll be 500 employee companies getting together with 500 plus employee companies. So I'd say, you know, the the category consolidation that that I see in, in tech and in, in governance, risk and compliance in particular is going to be more mid to large size on mid to large size. And then, of course, it's going to put a new kind of pressure on culture because you're emerging big culture on big culture as compared to, you know, in our more recent past, um, a bigger culture consuming a smaller culture, which isn't an easy thing to do but it's surely uh, easier than uh, the big on big. So I suppose I would just kind of put that back in the, add that to the mix of uh, culture soup called add that with uh, to uh, millennials and work from home and 
I think will be quite quite interesting indeed. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Now I'll I'll we'll end with one one final question, and I, and that is what what piece of advice would you give to someone, a young person potentially today, who's starting out their high performance leadership team culture journey, either on their own as an entrepreneur in an organization. What kind of, based on your experience, would you share with them? Uh, you know what, I'm mean, going to just mention two things, Marty. They're pretty simple, but they really, really matter to me. Uh, they're my, my moral compass. They're my career compass, if you will, for all of the years through today. Number one is uh, be who you are. And don't ever be in a place that doesn't want you to be who you are. I mean, you, you need to be able to be the same person nine to five as you are five to nine. And if you're working for someone or you're working for an organization that wants anything else other than that, you should leave. Um, I've had to make that decision a few times in my career. And at the time it was very scary because oh, I'm never going to get another job and I'm leaving this, but uh, it's always turned out for me. Uh, and then the second thing, uh, and I do this one every day with religion, is uh, I call it my Picasso list. It's easy to get overwhelmed with a million things on the to-do list. And uh, I have a, I use Trello actually to manage my to-do list. And I actually have a column called my Picasso list. And it's uh, every morning when I come in, I look at all the things I have to do and I put one or two on my Picasso list. I negotiate with myself what are the one or two things that I'm going to do today, the, the one or two Picassos that I'm going to paint today to my, you know, my best capability so that they're beautiful. And then I'm going to forgive myself everything else because otherwise life is death by a thousand cuts. You go to bed, you know, with 80 things in your head, feeling like you did a crappy job on everything. And for me, I, I swear to God, the that this Picasso list idea really helps me focus and, um, you know, so it would be the, the second piece of advice that I would give. It's that is awesome. Well, Lori, thank you. Um, I have not heard of a Picasso list and I've heard of a lot of things. I was writing, writing and listening, uh, very attentively to that. Um, and I think you've, you've shared a number of nuggets with us today. I mean, this, as simple as it sounds, asking people what they think <laughs> and then, uh, internalizing it and, 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 uh, and responding in whatever way you need to, which is what leaders do. The importance of symbols. We don't hear a lot about symbols. And I've been to the office. I've seen the, yeah. the superheroes and I've seen the moose and, uh, and we can talk about the superheroes today. But I think this complexity of, of millennials working from home, how do we leave? We've gotten into the leadership business as a result of that, the leadership training business. And it is not simple. It takes great commitment, understanding, meaning, impact, uh, and the importance of those things, as you so so uh, aptly said. But being who you are, authenticity and Lori Schultz are are go together, I think. And I think that uh, that being being who you are, nine to five and five to nine, is something I won't forget, as well as the Picasso list. So, uh, thank you again, Lori, for joining us today. Um, I know you've done many, many great things, but I actually believe there's going to be even more and bigger things ahead for, for Galvanize and for Lori Schultz. Well, thank you.
making time for me and I'll look forward to seeing you hopefully in person sometime soon. That would be great. And join us uh, next week for another episode of Building High Performance Cultures. In the meantime, if you want to learn more about the topic, go to waterstonehc.com. Thank you.